In 2005, I was uh, doing youth ministry in Oklahoma, and uh, every year that we had graduates, uh, we would always take them on some kind of trip right after graduation. Uh, It might have been a mission trip. It could have been kind of a fun trip. Uh, But in 2005, I had one graduate. And Wyatt said, I I said, Wyatt, what do you want to do? He said, man, I want to go hike some 14ers. And being from Oklahoma, I was like, what's a 14er? And he said, that's a 14,000-foot mountain. I said, a 14,000-foot mountain? Okay, that sounds uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, and so we kind of worked it all together and got, got our plans together. We were working out together, walking with weights in our backpacks, trying to kind of get the feel of what mountains might look, look like, uh, feel like, because in Stillwater, it's uh, elevation 800 feet, I do believe. It's uh, a little closer to, to ground level, a little thicker air down there. So uh, right after graduation, the next day, we jumped in my car, we drove to Denver, we got to REI, which is a sporting goods store, went in and just oohed and awed at all the cool things that were in there, grabbed some trail mix and some things for the trail, and then we got to the, the map area where we were looking for books to, well, where should we go? And uh, as, as we grabbed one or two of those books, there was a guy that worked there, came around the corner in his late 20s, and he said, oh, you guys looking for a place to go hike? And we said, yeah, we, we want to climb a, a mountain or two. And, we, and he kind of stepped back and looked at us, and he goes, you guys look like you're in decent shape. I bet you could do a class three. And I said, class three? Sure, let's do a class three, whatever that means. And uh, he said, I've got a perfect spot for you guys. Um, and he opened up this one book and he said, if you park your truck right here, there's a canyon right there. And then Mount Beerstad and Mount Evans is right in front of you. It's going to be a great opportunity for you. So we got some rest that night, jumped in the car at 4 a.m. and drove two hours west of Denver to Mount Beerstad, Mount Evans. We found the spot we're supposed to park. Nobody is around. I mean, it's just me and Wyatt. And it is uh, looking beautiful. We are looking out over God's creation, panoramic view, gorgeous. We're standing at the, end, the uh, edge of uh, the canyon, and we're looking down, and right in front of us is the mountain. How many of you have ever been to the National Mall in Washington, D.C.? Raise your hand. Yeah, you know, that thing just goes on forever, doesn't it? I mean, you kind of see pictures, and, and we got there. We took the boys there for vacation one year, one summer. And the Capitol building was right there, but it took us two hours to get there. It was crazy. And it was kind of the same situation for Wyatt and I. We're standing at the canyon rim, and we're looking down. We can see the floor, and we think, oh, let's, let's jump down there and, and get, kind of get on our way. And two hours later, we were finally down and standing on the canyon floor. It was kind of mushy and wet, and there were small ponds everywhere. And clearly, the, the mountain goats had been in the area perusing the place because it stunk so bad in that area. It was bad. But we made our way across the canyon and got to the foot of the mountain, and there were some boulders there 15, 20 times my size. And we had to work our way around those and be careful on the loose shale. But we eventually got to the sawtooth and began kind of hiking up the mountain. And again, it's just me and Wyatt, a couple of guys from Oklahoma. We're ready for this. Not. (laughs) So we had packed a, a day pack and a couple of waters and some trail mix And at the top of these summits, it's really cool. The National Park System has a a PVC pipe up there that has a book in it. And when you get to the the summit, you can pull the book out, sign your name in it to kind of prove that I did this all by myself. And we did just that. And we turned around and we kind of looked again from the other side at, at God's beautiful creation. But, you know, in Oklahoma in the first week of June, it's already super hot. Not so in Colorado. 
Matter of fact, while we're standing there looking, we recognize we're out of water, we're out of trail mix, and it starts snow pelting on us. And we think, you know, we need to get back down and over to the cars so we can resupply. And so we finally, about an hour and a half later, got to the canyon floor again. Our legs are like spaghetti. We are so out of breath. We get to the base of the other mountain where our car is at the top, and we're already hallucinating. We can't even see straight. I mean, we are dehydrated. It is rough. And as we sit there and we're, we're contemplating what's, what's it going to take, we're moving to the gorge area and literally we are army crawling about every 10 yards and we're stopping for about 10 minutes to catch our breath. It is that bad. Nobody is around. Darkness is starting to set in. I can hear the wolves howling over here. <laughs> I'm certain there was a family of Bigfoots over here laughing at us. But I looked at Wyatt and we, we proclaimed our, our love for my, my, my wife and for his girlfriend, whom he eventually married. But we said, it's Tuesday. We are, we're not due home until Saturday. They're not going to come looking for us till Sunday. We have to get out of here tonight. <laughs> but you know, in that moment of, of weakness and out of breath and hungry and dehydrated and delirious, we were in a moment of despair. I mean, the day wasn't going like we had planned. Things were askew. Things were not right. We, we felt so out of it, disconnected. We, we were hopeless in the moment. Kind of like the two disciples that we're going to take a look at in our text this morning, Luke chapter 24. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. While you're turning there, I want to say welcome to all of you who are new to Crosspoint, whether you're here in this room, joining us online. Man, we're so excited that you are here today. Thank you for being a part of our time to celebrate Jesus, just like we do every single week. Uh, as already been said, we're one big happy family. We actually like being together, and we also like celebrating Jesus together. And if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our family right here at Crosspoint. But in Luke chapter 24, we find a couple of disciples on the way home after all the events of one week. I think that it's a married couple that live in Emmaus. And Cale last week talked about the road to the cross. And today we're going to talk about the road to Emmaus. But these two disciples, though, as they... They're, they're on Sunday after the Sunday that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that donkey. No doubt these two disciples were, were welcoming Jesus on that Sunday. They, they were part of the, the crowd that was out there with the palm leaves, putting them on the, the roadway and the colorful cloaks that they were taking off and laying for Jesus to come into the city, hailing him as king. Son of David, the Messiah who we've been waiting on. They were part of that celebration. No doubt these, these two disciples were also present in Jerusalem as, as Jesus was revealing Scripture as he taught and he preached. No doubt on Monday, he was, they, they were there in the temple when Jesus turned over the money-changing tables. It's quite possible they could have been in the upper room with all the other disciples as they broke bread together for that Passover meal. No doubt they stood at a distance as they watched them nail Jesus to the cross and later take his body down. 
And on Saturday, gathering with the disciples in absolute disbelief and wondering, where do we go from here? What do we do now? Everything seems so hopeless. What is it that we should be moving toward? And on Sunday, they made a decision to to go home. It's, It's time to go back home. And they lived in the small village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're collecting themselves and and trying to make sense of everything that has happened. And they're now on the road outside Jerusalem, walking home. And our story picks up in verse 15 of Luke 24. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Now, I want to take anything away from Jesus' divinity, but I tend to think as I read the stories about Jesus that he's, he's a funny guy too. And I can only imagine as he joins this couple and they don't recognize who he is, he's holding back the smirk on his face. He's like, they have no idea who is walking with them because they're unpacking what's happened, the emotions that they're feeling. You see, when our hope has been buried, we become short-sighted in how we look at life. And they've become very distracted. They don't see the reality around them. And sometimes you and I can be distracted in our life as well. I mean, you go to any high school, you go to any university campus, you go to the shopping mall, even in this room right now, people are looking down at their phone. We're distracted. And when our gaze is downward, we don't see all that God is doing around us. There have been moments in your life when you've been kept from seeing what's going on around you. And you've had those moments in your life when you've experienced heartbreak beyond description. When when your vision for the future has been blurred because of the tears in your eyes. You've had that moment where you thought you found Mr. or Mrs. Right, but suddenly they don't feel the same way and they're walking away from a relationship you thought were good, was going to last a lifetime. You suffer from the loss of raising a child up to know Jesus and to be a part of, of his church, but then as they become adults, watch them walk away and never look back. You've been a part of that loss when when you thought you had the job in the bag, when you thought you were going to turn the corner on your financial situation and someone else got the job, you've had those difficult moments where it's difficult to see the future. But in our story, Jesus wants to turn their way of thinking around. Verse 17, so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. So these two folks are going to tell the guy who had a front row seat to everything what happened. Interesting. But Jesus asked, Well, what things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priest and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And they're recounting the heartache that they feel in the moment. They have this posture of 
of disconnection and disbelief, of, of hopelessness. And you can think about the moments in your life that did not turn out the way you had hoped they would. For all of us who have graduated high school, you, that senior year you had that yearbook and you walked around and all of your friends signed and many of their hopes and dreams never came to fruition or reality. The moment when the wedding celebration and then the, the anniversaries will not happen because of the difficult divorce that you had to go through and endure. Many of us will gather today around a lunch table with friends and family, but there will be an empty chair because someone that you love greatly has been taken way too soon in life from you. And and sometimes what seems so promising becomes absolutely painful. Sometimes the things that we are hopeful for become a hopeless story. Cale introduced us last week to the road to the cross, the triumphal entry, the celebratory moment, the front end of the week. But between Thursday and Sunday, everything has changed. It's not at all what they had hoped for. Look at verse 21. You see, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. You see, they were expecting this political revolution, and in fact, Jesus had intended some spiritual transformation instead. What Jesus had hoped for was that everyone would see that his kingdom was not of this world. He would rather his people be temporarily oppressed rather than eternally lost. And so love gave all. And you can see their demeanor in verse 21. We had hoped past tense. And in our stories, many times, that's what it looks like. We had hoped that the judge would render a different kind of judgment. We, we had hoped that the tumor would have shrunk. We, would, we had hoped that, that maybe the cancer would not return. We had hoped the marriage would not end. We had hoped that our prodigal child would come home. We had hoped to have children. We had hoped that the investment would pay off. We had hoped that our crisis would not worsen. But things don't always turn out in our stories like we had hoped. But based upon our story today and what we're celebrating, church, I want to remind each and every one of us, no matter where you are in your story, God is in control. And he is an awesome God. An incredible God. In verse 25, Jesus begins to talk to them. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's unpacking the story of God for us all today. And Jesus knows a disappointment is caused by unmet expectations. And disappointment is healed only by widening our outlook on life. Raising our, our faces to see what God's doing in the world around us. 
And Jesus begins to tell the story of all humanity. And he starts with Moses, and he talks about that that Exodus event where they all left Egypt, but their backs were up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army in front of them. What in the world are we going to do? But God opens up that sea. They cross on dry ground, and the army is no longer. You see, God is in control, even when it seems like it's hopeless. There are moments in your life. And in Israel's life, when they were taken away into Babylonian captivity, And they thought all is lost. It seems hopeless, but God had arranged the story so that 70 years they would come back and rebuild the capital city in Jerusalem and the temple and begin life again. No doubt he unpacked all of the the, the Psalms. There's a lot of lament and anger and crying throughout the Psalms, but over and over the overarching storyline is that God is in control. No matter what's going on in life, God is in control. He's still on his throne. Despair never has the last word. Church, God is still writing your story. There's still another chapter to come. Our couple and Jesus finally get to Emmaus, to their house. And Jesus feigns as if he needs to go on. It's getting dark. Thanks for the time. It's been fun. I've got another place I need to be. But the two disciples are like, weren't our hearts on fire? We were so energized and reaffirmed and encouraged. We gained some hope being with, you can't leave just yet. Why don't you come inside? It's too dark. It's too far. Have dinner with us. And what we get from this part of the story is so true for each and every one of us that every single time that you invite Jesus in, every time he says yes, Jesus always says yes when you invite him into your story. And so they sit down for the evening meal in verse 30. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them and suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him and at that moment he disappeared. Can you imagine in that moment recognizing who you've been walking with the last seven miles is the risen Savior, my Lord and Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not dead. He's conquered everything. They begin to talk about weren't Weren't our souls and our hearts burning within us as he revealed scripture to us? As he encouraged us and reminded us that God is still in control. And in those moments, you begin to do bold things in your life. When Jesus has turned your life around, when he's transformed who you are, you will take that message so that other people can hear how incredible our God is and still at work. And so those disciples at night leave Emmaus and go back to Jerusalem because they want to find the disciples that are gathered together to say, we have seen him, he is risen. But when they get there, everyone else has also seen him. And collectively in verse 34, they say the Lord has really risen. What an empowering incredible moment for all that they had witnessed, heard, and seen to know that Jesus Christ still lives. God is in control. And the question I have for you this morning is, do you believe that? And if you do, are you 
willing to follow.
So this morning, do you believe we serve a risen Savior who wants to change your life for the better forever, but you've got to open the door. You've got to say yes. And in your own life, take hold of what God wants to give you through his son, Jesus Christ, who says, I've come to give you life and life, life that is better. Your sins will be washed away. You'll have the peace you've been longing for in life. You'll have purpose. As God's creation, join his family today. Today is a great day to do that. We've already had one baptism this morning. Join that person in saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. He has done so much for us. He's given us life and everything. Won't you say yes to him today? So let's stand with one voice and praise his holy name for all he's done.